Hello, America. Welcome to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell, along with Brad Pollack. Our law firm is Bell and Pollock. We're located in Denver, Colorado, and we're glad to bring you this show. We want to take on the current events in our country, break them down, give you the legal story inside the story so that you understand the legal analysis of current events. And we try to cover whatever's happening in the world. This is a not partisan show non-biased show. We don't take a political side. How refreshing is that? What we do, though, is we do cover hot political topics on this show. We have to. But we give you the legal analysis, and then you can make up your own mind what you want to do and how you want to handle each of the situations, the current events. That's why we call it Legal Anatomy of Current Events. This week, we're talking about the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and all these lawsuits against Don Trump to keep him off the ballot. Uh, various states and various groups have, have invoked Section uh, 3 of the 14th Amendment, and we're going to break it down for you, and we're going to anatomize your mind. So here we go. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. As one small step for man... Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And to the republic for which it stands. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One nation. Under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. And you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now, raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. Good Lord, there are no words. Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU green to go, propellants pressurized. D-15, Legal Anatomy of Current Events, SC ready and green to go. D-14, FOS ready, green to go. D-12, S1C fuel tank pressurized. T minus 11, SC green to go. Legal anatomy of current events green to go. T minus 10, internal power green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9, 8, 7. We have ignition. 5, 4, commit for launch green. 3, 2, 1. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal anatomy of current events all for you. Now on the air. Target locked. All right, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, the United States Constitution. There's different ways to look at it, all right? There's, there's Supreme Court justices, Justice Gorsuch, and there's no doubt in my mind, I don't think there's any doubt in Brad's mind, this case is going to go all the way to the Supreme Court in one way or another. Because if they don't win at the trial level and they haven't, uh, then they're going to appeal it, and they're going to appeal it, and they're going to appeal it. And I think the Supreme Court's eventually going to weigh in. There's one justice, Justice Gorsuch, out of the state of Colorado, who said in his uh, confirmation hearings and otherwise that I'm just a plain 
reader of the language. I just read the language, whatever it says, I go with. I don't interpret, okay? That's one. And then there are justices that interpret it. But first, it's got to get through the district court level, the trial level. So, Brad, let's start talking about that. We got litigation across the country on the 14th Amendment to keep Don Trump off the ballots of certain states, um, and, and it was brought by different groups um, across the country. Three of the three of the cases were leading Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, and now we're going to have a decision out of the Denver District Court. So let's talk about that to give everybody a heads up on what's happening. When you just start reading about the, the different things, it, it, it almost makes it dangerous to be reading too much about what's going on and reading what's, what's happening and what what's being discussed because it makes it dangerous because you start seeing how um, people avoid the issue. And when they avoid the issue, uh, it, you start, you start realizing that you've got a difficult situation because it, you can nitpick and you can knit word uh, everything you want right down to the last few phrases to try to avoid uh, what exactly it is that you're supposed to be deciding. Um, we've had two cases already decided, and when we look at those two cases that have been decided, they really weren't decided, Gary, and that's the problem. They weren't decided. That's going to be point one. So let's explain to everybody. I'm so glad you brought that up. Explain to everybody why they weren't decided. They were decided, but not really. Right. They, they, kicked, they kicked the can down the road, and that's exactly what they did. They kicked the can down the road and, and didn't want to uh, – uh, make a decision, and you know, and, and the bottom line is, is that, and the question is, is uh, w- they're talking about disqualification from office, and in order to, and and what these they've been talking about is whether or not that he's disqualified from being on the ballot, and uh, they try to make a distinction right there on one of them. Well, he can be on the ballot, but whether or not he, if he wins, can he qualify for office? Uh, does he have the qualifications for office? Well, I think it's, you know, what is it, 35 years old you have to be to be able to be the president? Right, 35 years old, and it doesn't even matter if you're convicted of a crime. So, so you know, I'm 25 years old, and if I'm 25 years old, can I go ahead and be on the ballot for the presidency? And if I win... Then can Congress look and say, well, you're too young because you have to be 35, you don't even meet the qualifications? Or am I still, uh, it, 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 should I have never been allowed to be on the ballot in all the different states anyway? Because, uh, you know, that's one of the questions or, or arguments seems to be made, which to me is, is kicking the can down the road or is splitting hairs that really don't, don't make sense. Yeah, well, and, one of those judges, there was a Minnesota and then the the the, uh, the other the other Michigan judge, and, and one of them said that this is just a primary election, and so I don't I don't have and I'm not going to decide the the issue of whether or not he can be Don Trump can be on the primary ballot because it's not the general election, right? It's not, and so on the general election that might be a different question, but he but he kicked the the can down the road as you as you said, Brad. And I, I want to explain to everybody that what that means. He made a decision. I'm not going to rule, basically in anybody's favor. I'm just going to say that this is a primary ballot, and I don't really have any authority to talk about a primary ballot. If it were the ballot on the general election, then you can come back to the court. That's exactly what the court said. Well, sure. And, and what what do you mean when a judge says? I'm not going to decide this because this is something Congress needs to decide. 
You know, another one of the issues that was the other one that actually just comes out and says that I, I it's something Congress needs to decide. Well, okay, uh, you know, we start with the premise that it's the people of the United States who decide who the president's going to be, not Congress deciding who the president's going to be, and the people of the United States should be selecting from those persons who have met the qualifications to be able to be the president. Right. Not those persons who are on the ballot, regardless of whether they meet those qualifications. What what a terrible way to waste a vote than to be told, okay, I'm going to be doing this, I'm voting, and once I vote, and if I vote for a person who somehow wins or doesn't somehow, who right now has the, the, the ability to win, if I, and, and now I put them into a situation where they can be the president, now we're going to let Congress decide whether or not he, he can be the president based on the Congress decision as to how they're going to be deciding how a, a, a Section 3 of the, of the 14th Amendment should be applied or, or you know, wait a minute. You know, I, I, I don't cast my vote one way or the other for the purpose of allowing it to get to a point where Congress gets to make the decision at a later time. Right. Well, one judge, as we said, one judge said, I'm not going to rule on it because this is a primary ballot. And if you you can come back to this court if you want to. And if it's on the general election and then I might I might rule, but come back to the court. That's how they kick the can down the road on that one. And the other one, they said, you're right, Brad, just I'm going to leave it up to Congress. But but. And you and I were talking before the show when we were preparing for the show. If it's left up to Congress, what do they do? File a motion, a resolution, pass pass a law. We're going to pass a law. Who's going to be the president? We're going to pass a law. What a constitutional amendment means. And so that's kind of the flavor of that. And at the end of the show, we're going to bring you up to date because this is um, this is the day before we expect the decision out of the Denver District Court Judge Wallace on that long trial that they had there. But um, so, Brad, you make a great point, though. Look, think about that. Um, and I didn't think about that. A great point. What if you're 18 years old? You can vote at 18. Well, and you say, I'm going to run for president. And you say you get somebody, that, somebody that, that, that gets you on the ballot. Well, do you get to run all the way to, to, to the end and then be elected? And then they say, well, you're not, you're not qualified. Under the Constitution, you're not qualified. You have to be blah, 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 blah. You have to be 35 years old. Right. And so that's a great point. Well, you know, it's an, it's another one that you brought up when we were talking about this before the show. Let's let's say you, you, you at eighteen or nineteen you went into the military and you gave an oath. It's, it's just, is that oath count for Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment? Uh, and because you 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 give an oath to uphold the Constitution, and you know, so let, let's say you gave that oath, and let's say. When, when you were 22 or 23 or 24, you were part of the Proud Boys. Okay, now, you know, just about everything I've read has criticized the Proud Boys and said, wait a minute, if you're a member of the Proud Boys or, or if you were involved in that day doing something as a member of the Proud Boys, you were, um, you, you were inciting a, a, an insurrection. Everything I've read seems to agree with that. 
So let's say you, you, you gave an oath when you were 18, 19, 20, you served in the military, you came out of the military, it's years later, and then you're in the Proud Boys. And, um, they're, they're, and, and let's say you even get convicted of, of one of the it, – it's interesting because nobody's been charged under Section 3, Article 14 or no, been – Nobody's been charged with insurrection or rebellion. Insurrection or rebellion, but let's say you've been charged and you even pled guilty to something concerning that, and, and you're part of the Proud Boys. Now, where do we draw the line of saying, wait a minute, you're off the ballot. You can't even be on the ballot. You, you can't run for anything – and when do we start saying, okay, Congress, you get to decide if we're going to do that? Do we wait until uh, we get to the the general elections are completed and we have people in the Congress and you've won as a representative or a Senate and the chamber in which you've won needs that that political party needs your Vote. It needs your mem that particular member to be in that Congress to be able to have a balance of power that they want to have, and and then do we have Congress people who are voting according to what the they believe the law should be or is what they believe the law is uh, without any direction from the Supreme Court. Right. Or maybe we get some direction from the Supreme Court. But do we have them deciding it? Because then all of a sudden it, you have too much of a danger that's going to get decided not based on whether or not the qualifications have been met or not based on whether or not they violated Section 3 uh, 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 of the 14th Amendment, but based on whether or not it's going to do their political party the best result in being able to have some kind of power in the Senate. Exactly. So that's why the, the, the one judge's decision doesn't make any sense to me. I'm just going to let the Congress decide it and decide it how and when and under what criteria. But let's, start, let, let's default back to the black letter law. That's what lawyers call the black letter law, what it says. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but the 14th Amendment, Section 3, says no person shall, no person shall be you know representative, senator, or elector of president. No person who having, having previously taken an oath. So did Don Trump previously take an oath? Yes. And the oath is I'm going to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's engraved in my brain because it's the same oath you take when you're in the military. But your point was, a minute, uh, was there a minute ago. If you go into the military and take the same oath, I'm going to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, and then you later go join the Proud Boys, and then you later want to run as president, you took the oath and, and, and maybe – uh, allegedly, you you engaged in an insurrection or rebellion, but but back to the amendment, you had to previously take an oath to support the Constitution of the United States. So there it is; it's done. We know Don Trump took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. We all saw it. Saw, saw it. And then the amendment says, any person who does that, if they have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the government insurrection or rebellion, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. That's what it says. So now if you're doing the legal analysis, which is what we're doing, the first part of it's done. It's a done deal. You took the oath. He took the oath to support and defend the Constitution. So you go to the next section to analyze it. The next section is, did he engage in an insurrection or rebellion, or did he give aid and comfort to the enemies thereof of the United States? And that's the question. And I've got one thing to say i got a lot of things to say, but I got one thing to say on this point. Um, 
Everybody says, well, we don't know what the definition of insurrection is. And the defense lawyers for Trump say, it's not defined in the 14th Amendment. Nobody has a definition of insurrection. Therefore, since it's not defined, you can't hold anybody, including him, responsible. And they say the same thing. Rebellion, the word rebellion, is not defined in the 14th Amendment. Therefore, since it's not defined, you can't hold him or anybody else responsible. And I say to you two things. Number one, there's a statute in this country, 18 U.S.C. 2383. What does that mean? Bunch of legal mumble-jumble? No. That's the insurrection and rebellion statute. So not only is it in the 14th Amendment, but there's a statute, a federal statute that defines some of these terms. And, it, and so you can default to the statute because it talks about insurrection and rebellion. The other thing, Brad, and we talked about this in preparing for the show, I want everybody to think about this. They said, well, you can't hold Don Trump responsible for this amendment for insurrection or rebellion because the courts can't do this. And one judge said the Congress has to do it, which we just covered. But look at all the very important decisions in our country that didn't get decided by Congress, got decided by courts. And the defense lawyer said it's not in the amendment that the courts can decide that. It's not in the amendment the court can make the decision whether he engaged in an insurrection or rebellion. Well, of course it isn't. Was it in the amendment and the Constitution when the Supreme Court just recently ruled on Dobbs and overruled Roe v. Wade? No. It didn't say in there where the courts can do this. It never says that. They did it anyway. Was it in the Constitution on Brown v. Board of Education dealing with, dealing with those issues? Was it in the Constitution that the courts could or couldn't? Decide Gore versus Bush in Florida? No. So their argument doesn't hold water. They say, well, it's not defined in the 14th Amendment, therefore the Supreme Court or other courts can't decide it. Sure they can. And so we, we, we talked about that, but that's a, that's a big point on some of the biggest decisions we've ever had in this country. All of them. Marbury versus Madison, going back. Gideon versus Wainwright. So my point, all those cases, the Supreme Court decided but it didn't say in the Constitution or the part of the Constitution that they decided. It didn't say, hey, why, by the way, the Supreme Court can you know, decide this. They just do it. And so that's not a defense. Well, that's their job is to do their it. job. And it's the job of the courts to do it. And, it, and that's why I'm a little disappointed when we have a court uh, say I'm going to kick it back to Congress and let Congress decide. Because uh, basically what is being said at that point is that the law itself under which the case has been brought is so nebulous, is so vague, is so so impossible to apply that we need more guidance from the legislature. And, be, and we need more guidance to, to allow us to know what we should or shouldn't do. And the problem we've got with that is, is the basically, you know, if we stand for the premise, and maybe people don't, and that's why, but if we stand for the premise that if, yeah, it, and it, it's interesting they say if you take an oath, but it, we stand for the premise that if you act in a way that is is violent in essence or act in a way to try and overthrow the government or to to stop the government from operating uh, the way it does then you can't be a, you can't hold an office if you it, took a previous oath 
Yeah, now, you know, this idea of taking a previous oath is very interesting because really when I said oath of the mil- going into the military, that's not what the law says. The law doesn't say it's got to be going into the military. No, not at all. It doesn't even apply to going into the military. But what I'm saying is if you take – do you have to take an oath first? And then you start getting into whether or not you're inciting something or whether or not you're you're seditious in your actions or or what they are. And then we say the the way we're going to do that is we're not going to have uh, a, a, a judge or our judiciary determine that anymore. We're not going to have a, a jury uh, d- determine that anymore if it's something to which you're entitled to a jury trial. But instead, we're going to have Congress determine it. After the fact? On a constitutional amendment. On a constitutional amendment that's already been passed. Somebody named me the last constitutional amendment the United States Congress decided. That's right. Any... It, when they've just decided it. Yeah, uh, just decide the issue. And, or come back and said, okay, this is what... Uh, it, during a case, not later on, but during a case, say, this is how we want you to interpret these particular provisions of an act or a law. Yeah, somebody tell me when that happened. And so, you know, you want to be able to look at the judge and go, judge, I want you to table everything right now, and I want us to take these these words and these lines and these sentences to the to Congress, whether it be the state Congress or the federal government. I want you to take it back to them and have them give us their definitions that they would apply to these particular provisions now so that we can determine whether or not you, we can continue with my case. It, it doesn't make sense. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense at all. Uh, the, the, the judiciary is supposed to be enforcing this law. And, and deciding it and, deciding and interpreting it. it. And if there's a vagueness or whatever, it can even strike it for vagueness or it can interpret it. And its, its first priority is supposed to try to give effect to what was meant but when the law was being passed, right, and and we have a we have a somewhat of a history on this particular part, section three, article of of the amendment fourteen. I personally think that the, the bigger problem is, and Gary, you and I have talked about this. I think the bigger problem is is do we stifle the right to freedom of speech, and to what extent do we say they're inciting something? If my free if my speech. And my freedom of speech in, uh, causes people to go do something. Does that mean I've incited them to do it? Well, that's another defense, and that's another defense Don Trump's lawyers are raising. Freedom of speech. So, so think about that. Yes, everybody has freedom of speech under the First Amendment. But one of the Supreme Court justices, famous United States Supreme Court justice years ago, said, you might have freedom of the speech, but that doesn't allow you to stand up and yell fire in the middle of a crowded theater. Think about that. So there's a line. The, the legal point is, and the legal analysis is they're aligned. Now, we're talking about freedom of speech as a defense, okay, to, to inciting this, this right or a rebellion or an insurrection. I have the right to speak, so there's a line. And I say you, you default back to what the 14th Amendment says, and you default back to what the statute is on, on rebellion or insurrection. We have a specific federal statute, 18 U.S. Code 2383, okay? So you default back to that to figure out. So what's the line? And, Brad, you talked about the Vietnam dist- uh, demonstrations earlier when we were getting ready for the show and other demonstrations over, over political issues and over military issues and over war issues and Iraq and Afghanistan and on and on and on. 
What's the line? Yes, you can stand up and, 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 and object. Yes, you can stand up in this country and protest. The line is you can't incite. You can't engage in or incite the rebellion or the insurrection. And that's the line. So when you go back to where, where Trump is on this, Brad, he's previously taken an oath. So did he engage in or incite and cause an insurrection or rebellion? That's a factual issue, and, and that's how it's determined. But as you, as you mentioned, the two, the two judges already decided this didn't even go to those issues. The two judge, one judge said, I'm going to let Congress decide it, which we just showed that can't happen. And the other judge uh, said, I'm just going to kick the, kick the can down the road because this is a primary ballot, not the general election. And that's why, uh, it, you know, without saying whether it's right or wrong and without saying whether or not this should or shouldn't be something that goes forward and whether or not tr- saying, I mean, without saying whether Trump should be qualified or disqualified, the way I see the present judiciary who's been handling this sidestepping the issue so much, it makes me feel that this part, that, that, we're, that we're wasting a lot of time and we're wasting a lot of energy and we're wasting a lot of money and we're, uh, we're, we're di- going down roads that are, uh, have nothing more than dead ends. Because the stuff we're talking about right now, Gary, as you said, in the first two cases have been decided, they never got to that point. They never got to the merits. That's what lawyers say. They never got to the merits. So if they don't even get to that point, and we've talked about all the different angles that you can look at with respect to that point, with respect to the different points you brought up, and those still have to be then decided and argued, and then all that needs to get to, to the Supreme Court if it ever gets there, and we need to make all these de- these decisions, we're never going to have our judges reaching those points and making those decisions because we're going to have so much thrown out on technical grounds. Remember, we already had one of the lawsuits uh, b- before the two we've talked about today thrown out for lack of standing when there, there was an attempt to keep Trump uh, off the ballot or say he couldn't run for an office because they said you, you don't have standing. And so then it was, okay, what politician do we get or how do we create standing? Once again, saying we're not going to get to the merits of the issue, we're going to get to all this stuff around it that's going to keep you from making a decision. Because right now, basically, when you get down to it, there has been no decision against Trump, but there's been no decision in favor of Trump. Correct. It's just been, and that's a, a great point because I don't think people realize that. Right, they don't. They think, oh, it got dismissed. That must be in favor of Trump. See, he was right. No, that's not what it's saying because you've got to look at the reason the cases are getting dismissed or or, or no action is being taken by the judiciary, and it's every single time there is an excuse for them not to get into it. And and for the life of me, I can't figure out why there there's no desire to do that except for there's. There's no pressing issue that they're facing right now. Right. And, and once they start pre- uh, identifying those issues, uh, it's got to get to the Supreme Court. And the question is whether or not you're going to have uh, this judicial determination made before an election. Exactly. But you've got to remind me, let's don't end the show without telling everybody the, the procedural status of where everything is. Because people say, well, the, the one district court judge decided this, another one decided this. We're going to have a judge in Denver decide one in the next couple of days. So, but what's the procedural status? But I, we'll get to that point. Uh, but we got, I want to cover this point. Now the next thing everybody says is, well, wait a minute. 
the 14th Amendment, let's look at the history. And we would be remiss in this show if we didn't cover their argument about the history of the 14th Amendment. Okay, here comes the history. 1868, do you remember that date? Right? 1868, in the wake of the American Civil War, okay? They wanted to keep the Confederate people, the Confederate loyalists, off the ballot. Because who won the war? You know the answer. And the Confederates didn't. And now Confederates want to hold office. And so they wanted to keep it. They didn't want one to become president, right? Think of the problem that would have created uh, if, if, they, if the North wins the war, they try and reunify the country, and all of a sudden a politician from the South who is, is, is still very much against what's gone on becomes the president of the United States. Bingo. And then start saying, okay, now now I'm going to start yielding my power, and I've got the, all these southern states that have legislators and congressmen there who are going to be voting in my favor, and now I'm going to start yielding my my power to 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 get what we want to make this country the way we want. We well, want to what's it. the sequel to that movie? So the Confederate person says, I'm going to use all my power to destroy all my enemies. Who's that sound like? I'm going to destroy all my enemies. I'm going to rearrange the Constitution. I'm going to abolish the Constitution. I'm going to abolish the government. I'm going to arrange it the way I want to. And so if you want to talk about history, that's the history. But Brad, then, that was 1868, folks, and they passed it, the 14th Amendment, Section 3. They took an oath before that, and now they can't be president, and it worked for a while. But then they passed the Amnesty Act of 1872, four years later. First, 1868. Article 14, Amendment 14, Section 3, and then they passed the Amnesty Act. What did that mean? The amnesty said, basically, right, it was Ulysses S. Grant, the president said, basically, everything's forgiven. All your political crimes and everything's forgiven, it's an Amnesty Act, right? Well, why, why doesn't the Amnesty Act, Brad, apply today? Why can't the argument, the legal argument be, well, the Amnesty Act says all's forgiven, so that applies to Don Trump as a defense, and so we, all these lawsuits are, have to be dismissed because the Amnesty Act said everything's forgiven. Why? Well, because the Amnesty Act was a date certain. Correct. As of 1872. And for but, retroactive, past, and, past events. Past events. And it wasn't for future events. It wasn't for other people. It wasn't for, for what would go on in the future. And when you stop to look at it, you think what a... What kind of potentially dangerous act was being passed at that time? Because, you know, we sit here and we say, well, we got the Proud Boys. What, what if we went and we said, okay, Proud Boys, we hereby pass an amnesty act that says that you're no longer um, under any kind of restriction for what you did on January 6th, and you hereby can hold office, and you hereby can can vote, and you can be a part of uh, our political system, and we're, we're, we're not even going to look at the fact that you might have done what you did. Right. And, and you know, we don't care if you took an oath prior or not. We don't care about any of that. You're hereby able to—it's no longer a disqualifying act. To be in the presence. To, some to some of them are convicted of seditious conspiracy. That is a conspiracy to overthrow the government of the United States. And, and so when you start looking at that, you start saying, okay, what was being done out of necessity in 1868 and in 1872 uh, that had to be done? Uh, but you start looking at what's going on now. And, you know, really when you get right down to it and you get down to the, to the law, it is a law. 
it's there. And it's a law that needs to be properly considered. And somebody's got to have, in my mind, uh, uh, an ability to step up and say, yes or no, did Donald Trump incite a, a seditious act? Or engage in a rebellion. Or engage or give in aid and comfort. Or did he do any of those things? And, and maybe that should take a jury. I don't know, but I don't know how a jury could decide it. But, I know, Brad, but I want to make one other point. They say well, there's no definition of insurrection or rebellion, and there isn't in the federal statute either, and there isn't in the 14th Amendment. But hello, everybody, listen, hello, wake up, wakey, wakey. Under the, under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, the same amendment, the United States Supreme Court has decided all kinds of cases that violate the Equal Protection Clause, but there's no definition of equal protection. They've said it violates the Equal Protection Clause for to discriminate and the Americans for Disability Act under the 14th Amendment, but there's no definition. So why is, why is it okay there and no definition, and you need a definition here? But we have to remember, right now, you and I, Gary, are making comment on and, and analyzing what three judges, what two judges have said. We don't even know what the third is going to say. We don't say. know what Sarah Wallace but, what, what two, two judges have said. We, we don't know what our Supreme Court would say. We don't have any idea how the, the Supreme Court would look at it. And that is the law of the land. And, yes, we know that in that Supreme Court we have a number of justices, I believe it's three, that were appointed by, by Trump. And, you know, the question is, do we question then their neutrality, uh, which, again, would be going against the very tenets of what we understand our country is supposed to be about, and that where the, the neutrality goes away once they become uh, justices and and once they become uh, Supreme Court justices, they no longer have a bias or prejudice one way or the other with regard to any particular president who well, but, put him in or but, didn't want to put but him Brad, in. Brad, look at, look at the judge from Michigan. He, he said that you got to give it to Congress. That means he said that even the Supreme Court can't decide it. Right, did, right. Did, did, did that fly by anybody here? Well, that, that was the interesting part because he was saying, well, we're not going to have the Supreme Court bring, well, they can't. give the definitions to any of these things. He says. Right. Well, he, he's saying that it's, it's got to be Congress. And that's, once again, that's in essence saying, well, that's the good old boy club up there, and we're going to let the good old boy club decide who can be part of their club and who can't be part of their club. And that's certainly not what we do in our election process. Okay, Brad, we're kind of getting, uh, we're, we're, doing some, we're doing great, we're getting a little bit over on time. I want you to take everybody through the procedural status. I know everybody's thinking we've got three cases, man, one in Denver, one in, one in Michigan, one in Minnesota. Um, we've got more pending. What's the procedural status? Where does it all go? And where does it all end up? Where does this get decided? How does this get resolved? Well, you know, and, and when you go through that procedural status, you've got something interesting here because all these decisions are being made in lower courts. And the procedural status is usually that it's going to go to the next court up and the next court up where, where an appeal is going to go. Each case. Each case goes up to its own own own, uh, uh, case, own court in that particular state. 
that, that oversees the lower court. And so you can have all these cases running their own little, their own little lines of who gets the next shot at deciding what the case and, until you get to the, appell- the, the, the United States Appellate Court. And then once an appellate court makes the decision, then you can have the Supreme Court making a decision. And the Supreme Court, at the same time, can you know say, okay, once we yank it up from one particular district, then we're, we're going to make the decision and everybody else stand down. Um, or the Supreme Court can just sit back and say, we're not going to take, we're not going to, we're not going to review it. We're not going to make a decision. When we were taught in law school, every lawyer's taught in law school that one of the ways is, one of the main ways you get to the United States Supreme Court is if there's different jurisdictions, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Colorado, if there's different jurisdictions deciding the same issue and they come to a different conclusion. But, I don't think Minnesota and Michigan qualify for that right now. I don't either. I don't think the fact that they've come to two different conclusions, that I don't think they're high enough on the totem pole, so to speak, for people to understand, or in the in the judicial bracket. I don't think they're high enough to cause the Supreme Court to say, well, we've had, uh, in essence, a district court judge from Minnesota and a district court judge from Michigan, saying that would be their titles, make two different rulings. Because usually, I don't say you're brilliant on the air, but I'm going to say you're brilliant on the air right now because you said they, nobody really won or lost. They, they kicked the can down on procedural issues. They've not decided the merits of the case. Now, Judge Wallace in Denver, uh, in the next couple of days, she might decide it on the merits of the case, and that would be the first case decided on the merits of the case. And what would the merits of the case be? Either he did or he didn't engage in an insurrection or incite one. Either he did or he didn't engage in a rebellion or incite one. That's the merits of the case. Right. And you could have our Supreme Court justices all sitting around right now going, there. That, that's so wrong that, that, that Congress can decide. There's no way in the world we'd uphold exactly. that. But it hasn't made its way up to them. And once again, time is a very valuable uh, commodity here. Because the question is, by when do we decide it? Can this be decided? Let, let's say that we have uh, uh, the, the primaries, we have Trump as a Republican uh, nominee, let's say Trump wins, and he's the president, he's been the president for another, uh, uh, out of his four-year term, he's in year two of the four-year term he's left. I know where you're headed. Can the Supreme Court say, you know, we're going to review all that, yeah, and we're going to decide yeah, whether not, or not we kick you out? You're not really the president. You thought you were, you, and you took an oath, but you didn't really get in. You didn't make it. We've decided that under that oath, you weren't allowed, and we're just now getting to it. And we're sorry, we're just now getting to it. And then, you know, then then think of all the fun we'd have then as determining whether or not Trump's vice president, I don't think it'll be Pence. No. Uh, Trump's vice president gets to decide or gets to be president or whether it'd be somebody else. The the Speaker of the House of Representatives, third in line. What would we do? I guess, you know, so, you know, you look at all that and you start saying, man, this is just a complete mess. and, And we've got... Uh, we, we've got a complete mess. Okay, but the procedure, everybody understand the procedure. Each state gets to go up to the highest court of that state. So Colorado will probably go up to the Colorado Supreme Court, Minnesota the same thing, what, you know, Michigan the same thing, and any other state that decides this. They go up, they, they exhaust all their levels of appeal, and then the Supreme Court decides if we're going to take it. That's the procedural status of this. Okay, Brad, I can hardly wait 
to see what your idiom of the day is. I mean, I can hardly wait because, I mean, what we've been talking about today is incredible. It f- feeds right into your wheelhouse. Do you have an idiom, American idiom for us? Well, I, I could have a lot of them saying, like, things are getting out of hand or, you know, or, or you know, and, and we've got to get our act together and go back to the drawing board or any of those and say that those are things we've got to start considering. But, you know, the first thing I want to do is, is see if anybody out there, I'm going to give you a second to think about it, is a politocaster. And if you know what a politocaster is. And uh, um, I'm going to give you to the count of three, one, two, three, to tell you the politicaster is an unstatesmanlike practitioner of politics, a petty or contemptible politician. And I want you to think about whether or not we're dealing with any of those when we're dealing with this question. And then the other one I want is a, a, a phrase that it comes from a, a... How many idioms do you get in, the, one, in one show? The English language that is... What a mugwump is. A mugwump? A mugwump. M-U-G-W-E-M-P. Mugwump. Mugwump. And, you know, a mugwump, I, I, don't, so, I don't necessarily say it's supposedly a bad phrase. But, no, no. Uh, you know, it's been built from the English language and from the 19th century and early 19th century. A mugwump is one that withdraws his or her support from a political group or organization. It's a, a, a regular member who bolts a party and adopts an independent position. A mugwump. And I just want to think whether or not we have anybody that we would say is a mugwump and when, we're, when, we're looking well, at, when we're examining people and, and what they're all about. If this, anybody has kind of withdrawn um, being from an organization as running their own course and doing their own thing. Well, this, I mean, uh, you really surprised me each week with, with your American idioms, but uh, you, you picked some good ones, i got to say. Uh, mine's a little bit more practical. I get the quote of the day, and this is the fun part of the show. Uh, the American idiom by Brad and my quote, we try to have a little fun at the end of our very serious show, right? My quote is from Winston Churchill, and it says, the pessimist, and this applies to what we we're talking about, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity, and the optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. And there you go. All right, you're listening to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. Gary Bell, Brad Pollock, our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado. We're glad to bring you this show nationwide. We cover legal, legal Anatomy of Current Events. We cover the current events for you. We're glad to do it. You, if you want to reach us, you can contact us at info at legalanatomy.net. That's info at legalanatomy.net. Gary Bell, Brad Pollock, Bell and Pollock, we will see you next week. <laughs>